Welcome to the Space of the Waste, featuring host Melody Edmondson. Do you struggle with the right look to complement your body shape? Have you tried so many different looks and styles only to be disappointed time and again? You've landed on the right program. We'll show you how to make the right style work in your favor. Now, here is Melody Edmondson. Welcome to the Variety Channel. This is your host, Melody Edmondson. And thank you so much for tuning in today uh, to the Variety Channel of Voice America. I want to uh, remind everyone that if you have missed some of our episodes, please go to www.voiceamerica.com and put the space of the waste or see Melody Edmondson on the search line and you can pick up all of our other episodes that you may have missed. Also, if you need a visual, go to my Pinterest boards for the space of the waste and you can see all the ways to dress according to your body shape and your waist length. Thank you so much. Today, we are so excited because we have Lucy Blackley. She's the founder and award-winning uh, owner of Winnie, of uh, Bombi XPLM. This is a tech company for apparel, fashion, fit, and all things I don't know a lot about in terms of technology, but I know what the clients want. I know what the customers want. And Lucy has worked both retail, wholesale, and is a very high-tech person. So she's got it all together here today, and we are so happy to bring her on. Lucy, I'm going to let you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into uh, switching into the software arena. Okay. Uh, hi, Melody. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yes, um, Lucy. <laughs> so my name is Lucy Blackley, and I'm the founder and CEO of a product lifecycle management software solution called Bombix PLM. And what a product lifecycle management does is it's, it forms a single source of truth between brands, their teams and suppliers to bring everything together to ensure that a product is developed in the best way and the most efficient way possible. Um, so we started our journey whilst I was still in the fashion industry as a clothing engineer in 2016 and we're still going strong today. Um, so yeah, nearly six years, but we registered the business in 2017 and yeah, we've just been going strong from there really. And just ensuring that we can, you know, uh, help brands to streamline their processes and get back to doing what they do best, which is to develop products by minimizing the amount of admin that is needed to be able to produce these products, you know, uh, on time and ethically sustainably as much as possible. And yeah, just going with it and making sure that people are actually developing great products. Absolutely. Do you mostly sell this platform to wholesalers as well as retailers during their own private label, um, small and large companies? So um, we we work with brands. Uh, so brands buy into it, suppliers buy into it that work with many brands because they want 
also a single source of truth. And maybe those brands that they work with don't have a PLM system, so they want to keep on top of stuff. And we also work with agents as well that are the middle people between a brand and a supplier. What does PLM stand for, for all of my listeners as well as myself that aren't so tech savvy? So uh, PLM stands for Product Lifecycle Management. And yeah, as I said in the beginning, it's it's just streamlining a process for it to take a product from concept through to production and beyond. From the concept of the item or items or collection to the production and through the life cycle, cycle of the product so that it doesn't become landfill or whatever, so that it's sustainable. Are you uh, mostly working with product with um, biodegradable fabrications? So with uh, with our products, uh, so we don't actually upload any of the materials. We are a platform for people to be able to collaborate easily together. Uh, but there's obviously a massive need for sustainable items and a lot more products that are going onto Bombix with these new and up and coming brands and also, you know, heritage brands, legacy brands uh, that are also responding to the changes in how people are buying things everything we see is going into a more sustainable direction. Yes. How does the uh, platform actually work? I mean, is it, uh, do you have a certain fit? Because I know, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and they say, oh, every store has their own fit. Every, every brand, everything's different. So in terms of yours, is it uh, something that is trying to, get the fit and keep the data uh, about what does sell so that the fit becomes more improved? Um, I mean, as I said before, like it's, we are like a software subscription service and the data that people have, it's their own data. So brands that are working on sizing, but we do notice that a lot of brands use this to keep a more consistent size within their ranges because previously, People have used Excel spreadsheets and they've gone back and forth to suppliers and back to them, you know, and there's been formulas that are broken or errors. So using Bombix and creating templates and gradings within Bombix allows brands to have more consistent sizing for their brand, which they can keep using and also, you know, keep an eye on bestsellers and what's working for them. Absolutely. So then there's hopefully will be more repeat of the better silhouettes. And, you know, my thing has always been uh, being inclusive in terms of, of sizing all sizes from small to larger, but body shapes and waist length are so important because short-waisted people can't wear the silhouettes that long-waisted people can, and long-waisted people often can't wear what is created with a belt or a seam at the waist because their waist is so long. Will this help with that? So definitely. I mean, you know, in I, I completely understand where you're coming from in terms of size availability. And I've you know, I think there's going to be more in the future of the micro, uh, the micro factory and how people can do smaller batches and made to order. And this will give people a lot of opportunity because they're not, you know, they're not risking the, you know, 
oh, what if this doesn't sell? They'll be able to do, you know, several versions and especially with like 3D rendering and, you know, uh, 3D design and showing how that may look on a body. Like there's lots of softwares connected to retailers yes. today where people can see how it may look on their body shape. Yes. So, you know, uh, Bombix can definitely, you know, help towards that. And it can also, you know, we, we look to the future and how we can help and work with micro factories and small batches. And uh, it's just, it's the current thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the modern way of working for fashion. It's all about less waste and a yes. lot more inclusivity. Yes, I can see that. Is, uh, does BombiX PLM include uh, a 3D scanner or anything like that? Or is that a different, whole different realm of work? <laughs> so, uh, so Bombix is, um, you know, it's it's a whole different world. But the, the great thing about, you know, modern technology is it can integrate with other systems. And, you know, we've, it's, it's not our place to kind of go into those fields because I think as a business, I think people should focus and not do too much and spread themselves yeah. too thin. But yes. actually there's an, there's enough room for, for everybody. And if we can partner up with these people to make all the systems talk to each other, then that's going to be a win-win for all because we're all able to specialize in the fields that we're most passionate about and bring it together for, you know, for brands and the end product, which is obviously available to the consumers. Yes, I was speaking to another uh, UK designer, uh, Paula Cannon, and uh, she uh, had told me about a company called 3D Look that does body scanning. I just wasn't aware there were so many that were already doing this because I don't see it on sites. And I know that the returns are so high and even in the United States, it's over 700 billion for returns at the end of 2021, I just found out. And in and, and rising actually, but I'm hoping that eventually when you go to buy something online or even you could do it in store as well. I understand that Amazon and Chanel and a few people are doing the mirrors where you can look at yourself in the ensemble and see what you would look like in that particular ensemble. And ditto with some of the online people have that technology to use. I just hope that people start using it on the sites. And I guess what I'm getting at with the integration, how would that, how does that work when you integrate with something like that? You you then produce what they sell or you let them know, you keep data, does uh, your company, a BombiX, a PLM, keep the data from what you produce and what, it, what you're selling and what you're not selling when you uh, do the product for certain brands or does that come to them, so, to the brand? Yeah, I mean, I mean, first of all, I think the, you know, the returns and the being so excessive. I think this is this uh, kind of throwaway culture that we've created. And I think brands uh, giving free returns has kind of created that because people just buy a ton of stuff to try on at home. And I think there's a lot more brands now that are not, you know, it costs to return something, which I think is a, a step forward. But, you know, to kind of keep it 
in demand with those brands for consumers. We need that modern technology. And I think, like you said before, you haven't heard of many of these, you know, sizing uh, size scanners before, but I think there's a new wave of, you know, technology leaders and we've kind of had those big legacy systems for so long that, you know, they, they do enough to keep people using them, but they don't give probably the best service. And a lot of people, including myself, have come from the fashion industry and been kind of let down and, you know, frustrated with these softwares and technologies. So we're coming in and we're trying to do uh change that and to disrupt our own industry so I imagine in the future you're going to see a lot more I've started to certainly see a lot more coming through yes uh, but um but to your question um Bombix holds all sorts of data but it's all about communicating with uh other softwares as to what's going to keep in like what people put in so you know if we were to work with sizing scanners and stuff like that uh, it would be stored within Bombix PLM but it'd also be stored in theirs it's called an API and it's just getting you know um, systems to talk to each other so I think software there's it's unlimited as to what it can do yeah but it's about just it's about partnering with those companies that all want the same thing and have the same values to kind of grow into the future together yeah I talked to one company big thinks and they have like 30 different measurements that they take that goes in to the data but I'm just wondering of course my goal for the industry would be, of course, to have um, better fit for the body shapes and the waist lengths so that there, yay, there are not the returns, there are not the landfill, and eventually there are not the fabrics that are not biodegradable. Because again, you can imagine the sustainability. There are a lot of people trying to pay attention to that now, finally, but some that I have spoken to, they still have lots and lots of product out there that they have to get rid of in one way or other. And they're coming up with very, very creative ways to do that. But I just wanted, hopefully, that wondering how all of this is going to happen so that there is a big <laughs> bunch of data that eventually says, maybe somehow translates into the sizes that are sold. And if say a bunch of them don't have the seam at the waist, that there'll be more produced like that. Because my thing is if there's not a belt seam, like a seam across the waist and there's not a self belt, many more people can wear it because long-waisted people can add a belt if they want it. And the short-waisted people don't wear a belt or they wear it on their hips. So there'd be lots more of that out there in the market at every price. And then there's the custom, I understand that, but more or less, it's about the fit itself because you will be getting information on stride. You will be getting information on, on bus size, waist size, uh, hip size. You'll be getting all those sizes eventually. And that will all be in the data so that the fit can be improved. And we've had this night in America, and I know for the UK as well, well, all of Europe really, uh, 
but there's just pretty much been that standard sizing from 1951, the hourglass balanced body shape in a very somewhat narrow form that really hourglass balance wasted is not the most important uh, piece of merchandise that is purchased in terms of body shape. You know, I have read lots of reports that say there are many more short-waisted people and there are even more long-waisted people than there are balance-waisted. So it all becomes, gee, we're not really making clothes right for bodies across the globe. And I'm not just talking the United States, but you uh, have input on that? Um, so, <clears throat> I mean, it's we are definitely not someone that kind of focuses on size. We focus on processes to bring people to, you know, be able to deliver these products uh, on time, on margin, you know, ethically, sustainably, etc. But I think um, in terms of sizing, it kind of goes back to my views on the micro factory and, you know, how that's going to create these customizable clothes. Because I think, you know, I think a lot of people, including brands, are scared to venture into the unknown. They like things that are repeated and sell a lot. They're, they're comfortable with knowing what works because for them as a business, it's a it's a waste of money for them if it's not, you know, if they if they risk on investing too much into that. And that's what that's what I think is is stopping people. And so they go into this middle ground to you know, try and cater to all for the well-balanced and they think, okay, well, for the long-waisted, it might be a bit off or for the short-waisted, it might be a bit off, but ultimately it can hopefully cater somewhat to all. And I'm not saying that's, the, you know, the right frame of mind to go into, but it's business at the end of the day and they'll be, you know, they'll be looking at their track record of, you know, what has worked for them and they'll just be going off their own records of what's worked for them. But I think, as I said, with the micro factories where they can do lower quantities and more custom based stuff because customization is going to be a huge thing and I think fit will fall into that really really nicely and I think it's going to be I think it's going to be the future for uh, brands that are really catering to inclusivity in size. Yes well it's just that there's so much waste and there has been for years the waste is just unbelievable and um I do believe that is from the fit. So hopefully all of this is going to work together and integrate and you will have lots of people finding out, lots of brands finding what it is they actually do sell and what sizes they actually do sell and adjust accordingly. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's um, so there's some brands now uh, in the US and, um, you know, that are, that are working with micro factories and uh, being able to do as soon as an order goes through um, it, they're able to receive that order and make it in the micro factory as, as opposed to having to make 10 or 20 or hundreds or thousands of pieces that can make that one. So if these brands are going to start to expand and explore in, you know, looking at size inclusivity, this is a way that they could do it if they worked with micro manufacturers. And of course, I, I feel that in, in the initial, if not always, the micro factory will be more expensive but it's for, it's, you know, if those people are not feeling that they're getting that from other brands, they may pay that little extra to, 
to be part of that. But, you know, like anything, the more something is done, the more people change and move towards it. So hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, even in my lifetime, I'm hoping that there can be those changes. We see so much change on inclusivity and diversity. So there's no reason yeah. why it can't happen for clothing as well. And uh, Tech Nation, I know, accounted you as the regional rising star that engages in all these brands and manufacturing and also educational institutions significantly. Can you tell me if you think the uh, universities that you've spoken to or been involved with are going to move forward and add classes in some of this technology that can better the sustainability as well as the sizing and fit? Are they teaching this? Are they teaching this in this universities? You think you can help with that, I hope? <laughs> uh, yes. So, they, I mean, the, the universities that I've worked with around the UK are definitely looking into that. You know, I've spoken to one university also in Australia that were also interested in it. And, you know, I, as, as well as being uh, the CEO of, of this company, the you know, I also do some visiting lecturing to give students the real life experience of what it is like in industry, because you know, even lecturers say that have, you know, worked in industry previously that the students of today are not being taught the, you know, the way in which the industry actually is. And that's why they're getting industry experts that are still in the industry to come in and, you know, speak with these students to make sure that they have a clear understanding of what the actual, you know, the way that that industry is. I, so I studied fashion design, uh, in Manchester in you know many years ago now and I I quit as my third year started as I felt like I wasn't really learning the skills because I had a few internships and I started to understand manufacturing and I felt like the skills that I was learning in the university weren't setting me up properly for the career ahead of me Mm -hmm. and so I moved and transferred to uh, a university in Birmingham and studied garment technology which is ultimately clothing engineering and uh, I got the best education and you know I even had I had a job even before I came out of university you know a company waiting for me so it's just it's having those people you know to um to to really understand that there is a need for this to kind of bring the industry forward and stop teaching uh students old practices that are kind of uh, almost fictitious nowadays, you know, in the way that it works and business and globalization. So yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think we are moving in the right direction. And there's some amazing lecturers that are supporting that and pushing that through into the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Thank God they're going to have it in the curriculum in terms of classes that they, that they must take for their major. I see here also, you have such a diverse Uh, resume with all kinds of things that you've done. I see that you've done product development, you've done footwear, you've done accessories, you've done menswear, and uh, also not just Birmingham, but also in Germany and, you know, in Berlin, particularly, and uh, all of the product development. Can you tell me a little bit 
it looks like you were in that business for almost 12 years. I'd like to know if you found any surprises there. Obviously, it led you to doing this company, but I just want to know what was what were some of the things that you uh, were confirmed in your information and some things that you felt were so different than what you thought? Um, so, yes, I mean, I started in Birmingham and then I moved down to London before going on to Berlin. And, you know, each time there was a, it was different ways of working, of course. Like, you know, in London, I worked for an agency. In Birmingham, I worked for a manufacturer. <clears throat> and then in Berlin, I worked for a brand. And they all have the same challenges. And that's, um, you know, <clears throat> there's a lack of digital transformation to kind of keep things together. Uh, everyone is firefighting ultimately. And it's, you know, it is yeah. why... I started P uh, Bombix PLM because I felt that the softwares that we were given, like I had some uh, experience of PLMs, but although many were using Excel, um, you know, I, I had the experience of these PLMs and I felt they weren't catered towards the fashion industry or the people that had created these softwares weren't from the fashion industry. There just didn't seem to be much connection in them. So that's why I decided to get to it and try and create a product to disrupt that industry and be there for, you know, our clients and kind of help them because we understand the industry. We know how it works and we're able to develop a brilliant product because we know how it works. Yes. And that's so important. Okay. I'm getting called here to go to commercial break. So we will be right back with Lucy Blackley, the CEO and founder of Bombi XPLM. We'll be right back. Melody Edmondson has created a book series available on Amazon.com. The Space of the Waste series is comprised of a body shape by a waist length and will have all the information you need to dress and accessorize beautifully. You choose yours after first buying book one, The Guidebook, your fashion guide based on body shape and the space of the waist. This is a new method of determining your body shape and your waist length termed the space of the waist. You are listening to The Space of the Waste. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to thespaceofthewaste at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Variety Channel. Uh, this is your host, Melody Edmondson, and we have our guest here today, Lucy Blackley, and she's from the UK, from London, and she is here with her company that she founded and is CEO of, Bombi X PLM, and going to bring on Lucy to talk a little bit about her. She knows a lot about the fashion industry, and she spent a lot of years in it, so let's talk to her about that because I know there's been so much turnover with designers. You can hardly keep up with it. They have so many collections to make and so many sizes from Japan and China and if Italian sizes, American sizes, UK sizes, and then all of the different collections uh, that were in such high demand and there's a lot of burnout. So I want to talk 
for a while. I want Lucy to talk to us about her her, her journey. I want to hear Lucy's journey and her thoughts on that. Lucy? Yeah, so, um, I mean, burnout is, I guess burnout is ultimately why why Bombix exists today is, you know, I think anyone that's been in the industry uh, knows how much of a hard industry it is. You know, you must have incredibly thick skin and an incredibly high work ethic to uh, to continue in the fashion industry. It really is not for the faint-hearted. As much as it's, you know, there is this glamorous side that lots of people see, people that are in the industry rarely see that. And, you know, it's long hours, you know, and it's great also to, you know, the amount of places pre-COVID that you could travel to. Um, but, you know, sometimes that can all become... You know, sometimes people are willing to give all that up because of just how sometimes ruthless the industry can be. You know, it's uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's 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 super hard. And I think, yeah, I think my you know, I have I've had several burnouts in, in my career. Um, I think in, in some ways it's only normal for the fashion industry to have those burnouts. But, you know, there, there has to come a time where you've kind of have enough and you say, you know, you say enough is enough. And I think especially since COVID and, you know, I think I've changed my views on, on work and how people should be, you know, their attitudes to work and life and all of this, you know, uh, work from home, working from an office, hybrid. Uh, a lot of my views have changed over the last couple of years, but, you know, even before that, just, um, I was getting really burnt out with my, you know, my own, career as a as a product developer a, a clothing engineer traveling the world and seeing everything but also um uh, with a lot of businesses it's all about price uh you know how cheap can we get it and you know if it's yeah if it is that cheap it's probably is too good to be true and it if it's not costing you it's costing somebody else and you know I got really exhausted with how people were exploited in the industry but you know I always had a soft spot for, for garment workers and, you know, uh, factories and just loved how hard they worked and just going down the factory line and seeing people smile at you. They're just such lovely people. Um, but I feel sometimes, you know, if it wasn't for cases like the Rana Plaza in Bangladesh, you know, collapsing, um, a lot of this kind of wouldn't come to acknowledgement and change wouldn't be made because, uh, you know, we've, we have this thing right now where fast fashion is the big thing still in terms of, you know, people, they get sold on how cheap something is, but then it's not advertised to them as to, you know, how cheap something yeah. is. And, and in, how it's getting made to be that cheap, you know. Absolutely. It wasn't till, you know, one of my one of my last jobs in the industry. I mean, I've worked for many brands. I've worked as freelance and, you know, I've worked as a consultant and you know, one of my last jobs was in, uh, in Bangladesh and, you know, just, we saw some amazing factories. You could literally eat your dinner off the floor. They were so clean. The people were just absolutely brilliant. The technology they, they were using, it was just such an inspiring environment. And you think you're going to go with those people to work with them and create that working relationship. And then you'll go to another factory that only has two walls. It has holes in the floor you know, it has urine and feces a foot high in the bathrooms that are fully blocked out and people are wading through it in flip-flops, you know, or bare feet even. And mm -hmm. you, you get, you know, and when you get 
told that that's where the order's going to go to because it's a lot cheaper. You know why it's cheaper because they're not investing in their yes. staff. I and understand. I understand too well just about what you just said. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it, it's shocking, and I think when when you've seen that and you kind of get that final sample to look at it before it goes off to production. You know, I, I just kind of had enough of, you know, what we were doing to find these cheap prices mm -hmm. and, you know, the amount of work that it was not mm -hmm. just for the garment workers, but actually I started to look at it from the people that had to pick up those pieces and work in these ways that we didn't agree with for the sake of, you know, a really cheap t-shirt. I and agree. I, it is just disgusting. I, and I can't believe it's still going on. You're decades younger than I am. And that was the way it was when I was in 1979, 1980, 1981. It was like that. I have no idea it was still like that. And that's exactly how it was. And I, and I agree. And it may, it also way back then. And certainly now uh, I have just detested, I'm sorry to say, fast fashion. I just am not that person. I like slow fashion. I would rather have uh, better things, fewer things, and wear them for the rest of your life. I call it my archive. And people will say, is that new? Is that new? And I go, oh, no, I think I bought that in 1985, the Chanel jacket. But it's still good forever. That's why I bought it, you know, is because I can never have to get rid of it. Or I buy something artsy that doesn't have to be thrown away. And but people don't relate to that. They just go out before they have to go to somewhere and they buy like 10 outfits to go to their trip to see their mother or something. And they buy very cheap crap and then they have to throw it away. But I just hope that that changes. And I did speak to Jana Jetreve in the UK also uh, from her trend stop. And she says she's announcing that it's there's a trend away from fast fashion. And I'm just stopping with that because don't remember the rest of the article. I just know that I was so thrilled to see that, that they are, there's trending away from that. I hope that that continues on and on and on and on. And people go for the fabrics that are sustainable, get away from the poly crap and the petroleum-based fabrications and everything else so that we can get to biodegradable. And they're going to have to make laws about it or it'll probably never happen as far as creating these things. But people are going to have to ha know how to buy, know what timeless, good-looking dressing and classy clothes are, and quit buying and throwing away and buying and throwing away and not having so many yeah, I mean, I think the, so I think by, there's definitely going to be a dip or there, well, there already has been a dip in fast fashion. And I think by 2030, it will be, you know, a lot lower and there's going to, there's a new wave of, you know, kind of remake or upcycle brands or rental brands that are, you know, renting these clothes so that people can all share them, which is great for people that don't have access to high fashion where they can rent a piece for an event or something, but then it can go on to somebody else. But I think the problem with fast fashion is that not everyone's got a, a brilliant or steady income and people want to feel uh, good in something. And I think 
the way that fast fashion doesn't, it doesn't quite tell the truth around, you know, what it's doing. I think, you know, the, the awareness of it is, is, is quite poor. And I think it's not, it's not always to the fault of the consumer because uh, if you're not educated in it, how can you possibly know? And like, you know, not everyone uh, can afford that high fashion piece in their wardrobe. It's just not available to some people. So I understand why these available clothes and these new styles and people are are buying into them, but there is a lack of awareness or a lack of education from consumers that are selling them, but there there will be laws that come in and there will be these things that kind of have to educate people on where these things have come from, how far they've come, you know, the CO2 emissions and all of that. And, you know, it definitely will come, but at the same time, so I don't eat meat and I don't eat dairy, but all my products are way more expensive than meat and dairy. And it's the same for clothes to be sustainable. It costs more. And this is the thing that puts people off these changes, but Mm -hmm. they are coming. And the more people that join it, I guess, hopefully the lower the prices will be. Um, But we just don't know, but we've got to kind of, it's almost got to be a revolution in terms of how, you know. Good, it has to be. It has to be a revolution because um, it must, because it just, I, and it gets to a point where, because after years in retail myself, buying merchandising, et cetera, the demands on the buyers and the merchandise managers and the general merchandise managers and the VPs, the demands for increases in retail are ridiculous. I mean, it shouldn't even be. I mean, there were years I'd say no, uh, you know, that is unreasonable to do that. And I'm not going to uh, buy in order to make that work, that it just isn't going to happen. And you're not opening more stores. So it just is not going to happen. So the thing is, I, I think that the retailers got far too greedy and they were spoiled during the 70s because of the baby boomers. And then, you know, the different eras have their different amounts of, of people and the different psychological effects of uh, men and women in the different groupings, be it G- Generation Z, Generation X, you know, the millennials, the Ys, whomever, all think a little bit different. And I do think it's higher octaves. I'm going to call it higher. I don't have children of my own. I have stepchildren, but I believe all of my grandchildren and stepchildren are a, a higher octave of the baby boomers in terms of ethical things. But you are exactly right. And they do not understand that when they go not to put down Target and Walmart, I think they're wonderful stores. But at the same time, when the clothing is that low, there's got to be a beef in the madness, you know, because you're not going to get that with a with a equal pay for the wages of the person making that garment and i just feel that if we go to 
the biodegradable fabrications and if the retailers agree not to take such a big markup in everything, that they can pay a decent price for something with quality. I've even spoken to product development people, smaller companies and larger product development where they want to get to get a two to three piece suit, for instance, uh, to re- say two pieces, the jacket and the skirt to retail for $600. But what they're willing to pay for that is not $300. You know, it's not even $250. It's not even $200. And I could go down and down. To me, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous if you want. So the product people have to go out of their normal, beautiful, say, Pima cottons from Peru or wherever, or Italian beautiful knits, and they have to go to wherever they can get this very, very low price and try to get it manufactured in a half, in a good way, certainly not 14 stitches to the inch, but something that will accommodate the buyer to be able to think she can retail it for 300 and mark it down for 600 and mark it down at 300 and still be making money you know, at 50% mark on. I mean, I just think these days are over. Quit doing it. Just put a decent price on it and don't sell so many and reduce your margins. And yes, your rents, everything. They're going to have to go to cooperatives where there's several people in the same space. I mean, they're already doing it in New York and Chicago and some places. But what is your take on that? Is that I'm just in a dream world, thinking that retailers aren't going to take that huge markup and get, buy a decent product made ethically? Um, it's really hard to to kind of think about how it's going to change. I don't, you know, I, I ultimately it's business and it is, you know, people kind of need to make money, certain brands, oh, yeah. big, you know, certain brands have to make bigger overheads because they've got more staff, et cetera, um, you know, make more profit because they've got more staff to, to cover. And they ultimately business is about being profitable. So you understand it to some extent, but it's, um, you know, but also like, you know, these, uh, these buyers or product developers that you're talking about with the, you know, the $600 dollar suits, there's just, there is, you kind of understand because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of inclusivity when these uh, businesses that sell cheaper products uh, apply these prices that are available to people on low incomes. And, you know, not every, you know, people can't afford cashmere sometimes or, or a lot of people, you know, or some people just don't want it, you know, they don't want that extravagance, uh, Right. You know, I, my, I myself, I'm, I'm, I'm not into extravagance, but I think um, there's got to be some kind of middle kind of fine line where, you know, businesses do look at, you know, making things affordable, but, you know, with waste and market landfill, you know, there are brands coming forward, like uh, someone, uh, a brand that I, you know, I've worked with in the past um, that, make uh, underwear out of dead stock t-shirts and uh, so anything that businesses can't sell they remake uh, remake into yeah comfortable i like underwear. that i like yeah. that at least so, it's using the fabric that's already there and also the rolls of fabric i have uh someone in town here uh laura tanzer who 
has a designer collection, but she tries to buy all of the fabric rolls that have been used seasons before from designers like whether it's Giorgio Armani or Carolina Herrera or whoever, Oscar de la Renta, Valentino, down the line uh, to maybe even Jones of New York. But the, the point is she tries to rebuy their leftover fabrics and make something extremely creative out of that so that she's not buying more fabric to put into uh, the world, but using up what's there. And then, of course, I've spoken to people that uh, restyle things like another UK woman via Africa to Paris to the UK, Audette with restyling, restyle. She's getting uh, vintage clothing and restyling it into costumes. She'll be on the show uh, in October. And I do think a lot of the costume people are trying to get a hold of this fabric and then maybe paint on it or do be work on it and reuse it, which is very good. But back to what you're saying, I do think I'm living in a made up metaverse when I think that retailers are going to quit trying to take such huge markups, but maybe uh, they will be forced to if, if the sustainability is enforced, the fabric purchases are enforced to be biodegradable. And if the fabric makers um, do the same with their prices, you know, how much is much? And yes, I agree that the higher octaves, as I'll call them, everyone after the baby boomers, the higher octaves are not into extravagance and opulence and showy things at all, or they don't uh, care about uh, buying something because it is expensive and everybody knowing about it. But what they do care about is if the fabric's biodegradable and if it helps the earth and if it is breathable fabric that doesn't give a rash on their skin like polyester does, and they don't want to buy things like that for their babies. You know, they don't want to buy, put their baby in something that a fabrication that they're a fabric that their baby's allergic to. So I do think it will get to a point where there's laws made. I mean, there's laws made already. I mean, you can't even plant your own corn. You got to buy Monsanto. Uh, I mean, you, there are so many laws in in our food industry, there some are good and some I don't think are so good. But on because they're trying to keep a standard of the quality of the food is actually why they made the laws. And I think that they're going to have to do the same with fabric, and it's going to have to start with fabric and and price of what the industry can withstand in terms of what people can afford to pay um, is going to play into that. 
Well, I think, you know, like right now we're in a situation of like mass inflation in terms of supply chain, anything that you think of really is a lot more expensive now than when it was like this time last year. And, you know, uh, there's a, you know, manufacturers have a lot of pressure to kind of deliver these prices to or they basically don't get the work. So it's a really tough industry to be part of to, you know, because it, the person that loses out when negotiations are made is more often than not the the, the manufacturer because yes. if if they are ordering components in they can't reduce the prices on those so the price goes down onto the price that gets reduced is from their labor or their overheads or whatever and it's just a, a really tough vicious cycle and you know that there, there has to be change and I'm not saying that I I know how to do it I absolutely yeah. don't but that's the beauty of having an industry and a community and people coming together. But I do think there's going to be change in the next 10, 20 years. And I do think it's going to get better for the earth. Hopefully, well, you know, I really hope, and I think many people would that, you know, become aware of this stuff that, you know, manufacturers, uh, the garment workers are treated more fairly and given enough to, to survive. But it also comes down to, you know, why, people work overseas is to get cheaper products but it depends on the laws in those countries as to what is considered minimum wage but actually yeah. you know being able to make a garment is you know it's a skill and these companies uh, these you know governments and businesses that are paying people uh, pittance to to do this stuff but actually it's a it is a, a real skill to be able to do that and they should obviously be paid more but you know people want manufacturing to come back to the UK and they want it to go back to the US but I'm not sure if it ever truly will in a way that it used to be and that's because of you know laws in um, governments in other countries that give a certain minimum wage that is so low and sometimes it's not a living wage and you know people want these prices but there's we kind of have to club together on ideas about what we you know, want to do and what we want to put out into the world, because we all have this mentality of, well, it's cheaper so that I can sell more. Uh, but actually, you know, then actually is the minimum wage in these countries viable for that person that made this garment to live? Some people don't, they don't go down the whole chain and they just, they stop thinking about that or how it will affect someone else and stuff. But I think consumers have the power to change a lot of things. And I think when we have more awareness and more documentaries on these things and people are coming together to, you know, we, we've never been more, uh, have, you know, have a goal more than now to be more sustainable. And, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're far too gone to, to, to fully recover it. But now people are really considering things like, you know, working from home, like, I personally don't like uh, working from home. I like to be in the office with my team, but people being able to work from home and have that flexibility to not be in the commute, to not cause stress and all of this, you know, the, the world is changing around us and is definitely done with, uh, with COVID uh, kind of hitting us. And I think that a lot more things are going to change in the future. And it's just about people you know, that revolution mentality to make sure that change comes. And it's for the majority, not just the, you know, the very wealthy few. It needs to work for everybody. People should be able to love their work. And unfortunately, not enough people do because, you know, 
a lot of it is people you know they they make money to survive and they need to survive and it's you know this fashion industry as well like I'm not sure if I don't think the fashion industry is as well paid as it used to be uh you know people are you know they don't get enough for the, the work they do and they're expected to work around the clock and not switch off and it's just a really hard grind and I think it's a really complex situation in which we don't have all the answers for but I am optimistic over time and hopefully in my lifetime that we see a shift in this like we are working towards yes. sustainability because yes. When people talk about sustainability, they they think about fabrics and the earth, but actually sustainability is also people, you know, it should be going, the priority should be people, then planet, then profit. Because if you look after people, they will look after the planet and then the profits will come. So it's about having a more empathetic view on the workforce and love people more and, caring you know. more compassion and i think you are definitely lucy blackley bombi xplm you are part of the solution and you are a leader in this revolution the way i look at it which is why i wanted you on our show and you have are an expert and you know everything from the design and the retail and the product all the way to the making of it. So I, unfortunately we're out of time, but I just want to say that I hope we're all going to become part of the change. And I agree with Lucy about people. We need to get the wages up for the people that work in the factories and their conditions and everything else need to be, and they need to make enough money to provide for their families and pay for their rent and their food and for everything else. It must be done. And so I invite everyone to become part of the change. And thank you so much, Lucy, for coming on the show. And I have to sign off, but again, thank you. And I hope one day we'll be back with all of these great results that have happened. You know, I hope I'm alive by then. I hope I still have my show. You certainly will be, but thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Thank you so much. much. And this is Melody saying, uh, signing off from the space of the waste and saying goodbye to our wonderful client uh, and guest, uh, Lucy Blackley from Bombay X PLM. You can look her up on the internet and go to her website and learn all about her software company. And if you are a retailer or a wholesaler or a brand, get in touch with her. You need to get going. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Signing off till next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Space of the Waste. Please join host Melody Edmondson again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next time.